Good morning, church. Um, I would ask if you're able to please stand and read along with me as I read today's scripture taken from Colossians chapter 1, chap- or verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity or privilege rather to gather here today and worship and praise you. Lord, I know that you know we have many things going on in our lives, but I pray that you let us set aside any kind of distractions or worries that we have so that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your word. Um, we, we pray for Matt as he delivers his message today, and we pray that his, the words that he shares with us do, do truly touch our hearts and minds. Lord, we love you, and in your most precious and glorious name we pray, amen. You may be. All right, good morning. How are you? Thank you for participating. We just finished uh, over a year's worth of preaching and teaching through the book of Revelation. Uh, we have uh, some, some members in our church who have just done a tremendous service to you uh, by putting it all up on Spotify. So you should go to Spotify, search Restoration City Church. Uh, you see our logo, the, the, the black cross with the red R next to it. So I want you to check those out. Go back, and uh, I hope that they are of benefit to you, thanks to Stuart McGinnis, who uh, spent a lot of time staring at a computer screen, pressing buttons, and just simply waiting for bars to fill. Um, we are going to have one standalone sermon today. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a second, but I want to let you know, starting next week, uh, next Sunday, is what day? Halloween. No, it's Reformation Day, October 31st, <laughs> uh, 1517, over 500 years ago, uh, the great uh, theologian and pastor Martin Luther uh, made a made a public statement of, uh, of a desire to purify the church uh, and bring the church back under the authority of the scriptures uh, and the scriptures alone. Uh, and so starting next week, uh, that Sunday, we have five sermons, five weeks of sermons on what are called the five solas. These are the five foundational principles, the five foundational truths that are found in the Bible that uh, the Christian faith, specifically the Protestant faith, uh, is built upon. So uh, I'm looking forward to preaching through that, um, and so I want you to join us for the next five Sundays, and, and for every Sunday. Well, there you go. Today's sermon, um, this is a, today's a kind of a, a preview, all right? Um, it's a preview, sort of a teaser trailer for a, a sermon series that we're going to begin in January of 2022. Uh, we're gonna bre- I'm going to be preaching through the book of Colossians, uh, this will be the first book of the Bible that I believe uh, I'll, I will have re-preached. So for 10 years, we're coming up on 10 years as a church, this will be, the, I think, the first book that I've gone back and re-preached. That we've preached through Colossians, maybe our 
third or fourth year, somewhere in there. We're going to be preaching that once again, much like we did with Revelation, team preaching that with Pastor Tim Bice and the elders at Greenbrier Church in Albany. Uh, that's been of great, great benefit to us and to them. So I, I'm praying and I, and I really do believe that Colossians is going to stand as a, as a really big and exciting change for, for our church. Um, the big exciting change is not simply that we'll be preaching through a specific book, because uh, that's normal for us. I, we generally go through books of the Bible. But rather than simply beginning a new sermon series, we are hoping to launch essentially a campaign. Now, uh, I, got, I got to put some stuff and, and ideas before our leadership team so they can have input and make decisions and, and help create this. So, um, But it's, it's more than simply... Uh, hey, we have a book of the Bible that we're going to be preaching through. It, it's, it's, it is that, but it's more than that. I, I'm just trying not to say too much. Essentially, this campaign will be using the book of Colossians, though, to drive and focus and center the life of our church, the ministry of our church, and, and the, the lives of our members. So if this is your church family, your church home, we want to use that time to really drive and center us all around uh, a, a specific vision and mission and purpose for this church, uh, and and that is all about what making disciples of Jesus on the mission of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. All right. Specifically, what I'm previewing for you today is the overarching message of 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 what we'll see in Colossians, which is um, we want to be the kind of church that yes, in making disciples, we will 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 establish hopefully by God's grace, we'll establish a gospel culture from the gospel doctrine, a gospel culture from the truth of the gospel. So today's main point of the sermon is, is this. This is, what, this is what I want us to walk away with. To know, believe, and live the gospel of Jesus Christ is to do those things together. Is to do those things together. We are to know the gospel of Jesus we are to believe it, accept it, like hear it, know it, understand it, and then go, yes, that's right, that's true. And then to live it. To live it means to have our words and the way we act and respond, the way we treat our bodies, the way we treat other people's bodies, the way we treat our work, the way we treat our money, homes, everything. And, and to do that in a way that reflects that we really do believe that Jesus Christ really is God, and he really did become a man, and he really did live the life that you and I ought to and don't, and that he really did die on a cross, a horrible, terrible death. He took all of the punishment and condemnation that God rightly should give to us, but he took that for us so that we don't have to. And that he actually came back to life three days later, like literally back to life three days later, guaranteeing for us that though we die, we will yet live, that we'll have eternal life, the same kind of eternal life that Jesus himself has. And if you understand that, and then you really do believe it, well, if you really believe it, then it's actually going to show up in the way that you live. And to, to know and to believe and to live the gospel is to do those things together. What is a culture? All right, I, I got I to do uh, some lecturing and preaching, so I, some teaching and preaching. All preaching is teaching, but not all teaching is preaching. I'm not going to distract you with any more of that. I'm just going to tell you, I've, I've got to have some info dump with us, sorry, today. What, what exactly is a culture? When you hear this word all the time, <laughs> but what exactly is culture? How do you define that? I, I'm just going to do my best and offer this up. Uh, a culture is basically the, the collection. It's a collection of outward traits or outward markers that a group of people share. It, it's an outward expression. These are outward, observable, experienceable things that a group of people share, and that's and it kind of loosely describes their culture. These are traits that are an outward expression of an inwardly shared system or group of beliefs and values. I want you to lay hold of that one. The inwardly shared beliefs and values, the things that the people of that group think and the things that, that, those, that, that the people of that group feel what they believe is true, what they believe is false, and what they like and what they dislike, right? The culture 
is an outward expression of what I believe and care about on my inside. And I share that with another group of people. All right? With, with other people in the same group. People in that group share. We're sharing in a culture. We're sharing in an identity. And the culture, that outward expression, it just expresses who we are to the world around us. Um, it, it's, it's the music that the people of that culture, that group, tend to like to listen to. Uh, it's, it's the clothing that they tend to wear. It's the traditions and the rituals that they tend to engage in. It's the language or the vernacular, the, the vocabulary, the slang, the jargon that that culture shares. And most definitely, it's the behavior of those people. Part of a culture is the moral code, the system of ethics, the system of, hey, we don't do that. Or, this is what we do, and we act this way. We don't act that way. It's definitely, a culture is definitely expressing itself. It's expressing its beliefs and its values with its system of moral codes, its rules, its laws. Every, every culture has a shared understanding of what you ought to do and what you ought not to do. And it's, again, it's all based on what? Something on the inside that we all share. We have a shared belief, and we have a shared value. Which leads me to, to this statement, and you're going to hear this probably a lot starting in January, but this is true. For Christians, non-Christians alike, this is the human condition. Behavior is birthed from belief. Behavior is birthed from belief. See, you can't, you can't love something, you can't value something that you don't know. The heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. That's a statement from a lady named Jen, Jen Wilkins. She's a, just a monster theologian out in Texas. But the heart can't love what the head doesn't know. And so before you ever have a value that you're acting from, that you're expressing yourself with a culture, right, you have to have a thing in your head that you know and you feel a certain way about. So the way you live, the, the kind of things that you say, the kind of clothes that you wear, the kind of music that you listen to, the, the kind of things that you buy... And, and the rules that you obey or disobey. Those, those are determined what, at the end of the day by what you believe is true or not true. What you believe is right or wrong, good or bad. In other words, for Christians, I would say, your biography comes from your theology. Your biography, your life story, how you act, how you live this life, how you treat your spouse or your kids or your friends, how you... How you do anything and everything in this world, if you're a Christian, and I, still, again, I'd, I'd say this is true of all, all people, non-Christians too, that all is driven by, finally, what you believe about God, right? Every human being is a theologian, all right? Christians have theology. Muslims have theology. Buddhists have theology. Theology is simply, like, this is, these are the things, theology is like the system, it's the group of things that I believe about God. These are, these are things I believe that are true. Even for the atheist to go, there is no God. That's a theological statement. That's a theological position. There is no God. But what you believe about God then turns into how you live your life. The explanation for why you do and why you don't do anything all finally drills down to what you care about, what you're for, what you're against, what you like, what you dislike, what you're happy about and what you're afraid of coming from what you really believe. Behavior is birthed from your belief. All right, so what, what's, what, what's, what's like a culture that we're familiar with? Like I can say this. Now we're, we can get into real trouble. All right, I'm getting into real troublesome area if I start going, well, let's talk about cultures, throw some out. And like people might go, uh, that's a stereotype. All right. So we're going to tread carefully, but when you, I'll just, I'll just say some, and I'm, I'm kind of lay some of this at your feet. I'll do a little bit of work, but when, like, when I say the word American culture, the culture of America, what you don't, you just think in your head, what do you think? Maybe, maybe some of you are going, oh, you know, apple pie and you know, baseball and you know, you see the American flag waving and you know, supporting the troops. Uh, you know, other people might hear American culture and they're going to see. A different thing in their mind, right? Business culture. What's the what's the culture? You think of a, a, a of an office building, a business, a corporation. What are the people in that corporation? There's a culture in that corporation, that business. 
What are you thinking of? They're, you're probably thinking of maybe someone like they're wearing suits, you know? They're, they're, they're drinking coffee out of a mug that says, you know, world's best boss. There are cubicles. Uh, there, there are behaviors that they engage in. They, they hobnob around the water cooler, right? They're sending many emails and having many meetings that could have simply been emails. Uh, there, there's HR walking. There, there are cultural things that show up. And, and why do we wear suits at, at business? Well, because our cultural value, the inward, the inward thing that's getting expressed is, I wear this formal attire because it's time to do work. This is a, this is a serious place. And, and we're classy people. We, we mean we're in business, and therefore we mean business. And so we save the flowery Hawaiian shirts and, and khaki shorts for casual Friday. But that the, the reason we wear the suit at the office is because there's an inward value. I believe that if I can be more formal and more business-minded and work-minded, then I will be more productive. And I believe that's true for my employees. And we value productivity. Hence, the suit. Hence, the business attire. What about hippie culture? You say hippie culture. There's music. There's clothing. Right? There are, there are certain things that they may or may not participate in. Um, there are values expressed in behavior. We, we make love, not war, man. Don't talk so fast and don't talk so loud. And why don't you chill out? Because we're about peace. We believe we can heal the world if we all would just, wake, just wear clothes made of plants, okay? And play the bongos. Heavy metal culture. Rap culture. Let me ask you this. Like, you, you see in the parking lot at the Walmarts a huge truck with the dualies, right? Like the, the, the rear tires, there's two of them side by side, right? Huge truck, and on the back is a decal, several decals. One has just simply the number three. And, and another is a gray, and another decal is, is like, it's shaped like a deer, right? What culture, whoever owns that truck, what culture are they expressing outwardly simply with their truck? What are they communicating about themselves and, and their beliefs and values? you're going to be led to believe something. Whether you're getting that right or wrong, and whether or not that, that truck or the American flag or, or any of the, whether those things truly encapsulate and define who that person is, that person probably has some values, some beliefs and values about themselves in the world and the things they like and they dislike that they share with other people who are probably driving similar cars. They probably have similar decals and stickers. And we'll look at that culture and we'll react and respond depending upon what culture we're participating in. What are the shared beliefs and values of the people in those groups? There are outward expressions of something that's inward. There's the visible that's communicating the invisible. So the church is meant to have a culture. All right. Every church has a culture. It's not a matter of, do, does this church have a culture? It's a matter of what kind is it? And are you familiar with it? Do you know what you're participating in? And are we act, does our culture actually reflect what we, the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we act, what we, the way we live our lives? It, does this church actually express what we say we believe on the inside and value on the inside? Or is there some sort of disjoint? The church is meant to have a culture, and that culture, the culture of our church, is meant to represent the king of our culture, the, the culture of the kingdom of God. So when, when people in America hear the word Christian, or they hear the word church, they're going to think of something. They're going to think of some things. What, what are the outward expressions that people in America, people in the world, are thinking of and envisioning when they hear the word Christian or church. It could be, could be negative things, and it could be very positive things. Some of those things could be not accurate for us. Well, I think of steeples, and I think of an organ, and I think of a, 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 a kind of a tubby guy up front, and he's wearing a suit, and he's kind of sweating, and he's opening the Bible and yelling hellfire and brimstone. 
that might, that's not really accurate about, like, here. At least I'm not tubbing, right? <laughs> but there are general outward expressions of an inward, invisible, and shared belief and value. Some of the positives and negatives associated with American church culture, some of those things are really fair. And some of those things are very unfair. And I'll tell you, in, in, in a lot of ways, the illegitimate and unfair things that might hurt your feelings when you hear people say things about the church, about Christianity, a lot of the time there's nothing you can do. And a lot of the time, and most of the time, there is everything you can do. By participating not in the American church culture, but participating in and belonging to the culture of Jesus Christ's kingdom represented here on the earth through who? His church. What you think is true, that's your belief. What you love and what you hate, what you're for, what you're against, those are your values. The church, our church is meant to have a culture, and that culture is given to us. Those things, those beliefs, and those values are given to us by Jesus Christ. Our king has things he tells us that we are to believe. He wrote a book, right? There are things that we are to trust in. There are things that we're supposed to put our faith in. There are things, um, uh, there's a view, a viewpoint of God, a viewpoint of of mankind, of ourselves. There's a viewpoint about our money. There's a viewpoint about our bodies and what we're supposed to do with them. There, there's a viewpoint. There are truths. There are things. There are, there are views. There are beliefs. There are things that God says that we are to understand and agree with about the whole universe. And our behavior, our outward expression, our culture is going to be built on what we believe, first of all. And then there are things that our King, Jesus, values that he wants us to share with him. So there's not only truth that he wants to share with us, there are, there are loves that he wants to share with us and for us to share with one another. Things that he loves and there are things that he hates, things that he's for, things that he's against. And here's the thing about church culture, just like every other culture, the truth about what we really believe and what we really value will come out eventually. What you really believe and what you really value, that's gonna come out. We all know that people lie. We all know that we ourselves deceive ourselves. We all, every human, if, if you are in here breathing, if you're at home watching or listening and you are breathing air, then you know what it's like to be a hypocrite. Whether you're real old or real young, you already know what it's like to be a hypocrite. To say that you, I, I'm for that, I agree with that, and then come to find out on a long enough timeline, you come to find out, well, I, I mean, I don't really like it that much, Right? I hate bullies, and I'm going to stand up to bullies. I ain't scared. Of, I, I'm, I'm going to stand up for you. And then the bully shows up, and you're like, yeah, bro, you're on your own. Bye, right? What you really believe, what you really value over a long enough timeline will come out, and it'll show up with what? Your behavior. You can profess, and you can claim that you believe in, and you can love something, but over a long enough timeline, the invisible truth gets revealed by the visible actions and words of people, and not just individuals, but groups, cultures. And you know this is true. You know this is true if, you've, if you're a lady and you've had a, had a man who said words and had some outward expressions trying to prove to you that he loves you. And then over a long enough timeline, it comes, becomes very, very clear that those words and those actions don't really match up with what he really believes and values about you. Because over a, long, over a period of time, those outward expressions are going to start to change based off of what he really thinks, what he really feels. Why? Why does, that, why does it work that way? I already told you. Because behavior is birthed from belief. Now, what kind of culture should our church be? What, what kind of culture ought we be building? What kind of culture, what outward expressions, what kind of lives that are seeable and experienceable should we be living with one another and before the world? What should that look like? It's a gospel culture built on a gospel belief that produces gospel love. It's, this is taught to us by Jesus. It's modeled for us by Jesus. And it's 
passed on to us from Jesus. It's the culture of Jesus' kingdom. Those who believe in and love Jesus, Christians, are called ambassadors. We're called ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Let me, let me just take you through this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're a Christian, you're a new creation. You were born once out of your mom's belly, and now in, in God, miraculously, you have a new birth that doesn't come from a woman's belly, but it comes from God, who's the invisible God. It comes from his own heart. God says you're a new person. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ Jesus reconciled us to himself. We are at war with God, natural born enemies of God. Don't like him, don't want him, don't search for him. He comes and goes, eh, I'll make you new. And then we go, I'm new. Wow, I really do like you. Wow, Jesus, you're terrific. He made us friends. He reconciled us back to himself so that we can be friends. And then he gave us what? He gives to us as his reconciled people, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. The people that Jesus finds are now found people, and found people go find people. The people who Jesus has loved are now loved people, and loved people, they love people. The reconciled people, if we really are reconciled to God, we love reconciliation so much, and we believe in the reconciling, healing, forgiving power of Jesus so much that we, we just about can't help it. We want to go and reconcile other people who are at war with God and see them reconciled to God. He's given us that ministry, that job. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting sinners' trespasses against them. And he entrusted us the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation, that's the gospel. Hey, God hates sinners, and you're a sinner. I was a sinner. I still am. But God loves me when he should hate me. And the way he makes that work is he sent his son Jesus to die for his enemies so that instead of his enemy, I can be his friend. I, I, can, be the, I can be the baby brother of Jesus Christ, the king. I can be a son of God. God, God, God loves you. You need to believe that. He, he should hate you. He should kill you. He should condemn you. He shouldn't even be sending anyone to you to tell you this, he, he would be right to just go, mm, no, red button. I'm not even giving them a warning. That's what we would deserve. That's what I deserve. And instead, he gives us the, this message, this message of reconciliation, which is the gospel, which is God loves sinners. God loves dirty people. He loves wrongdoers. He loves fools, and he makes them his own. That's what the gospel tells us. Therefore, verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you, we beg you, we beggingly command you, like implore here is Paul goes, you got to do this. Come on, please, you have to do this. I implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's an ambassador do? What's an ambassador do? They live in a foreign place. They live in a place that's not their home. And they serve as representatives of their home in this foreign place to these foreign people. Their purpose is to share, to communicate the, the beliefs and the values of their home, of their people. And how do they communicate the beliefs and the values of their home to these foreign people? By introducing them to the customs and the cultures and the rituals and the music and the clothing and the language of my homeland. There, there's, I'm an ambassador and there's an embassy and you come here or I go out to you and I show, I show you, this is how we do it in America. Oh, that's how you do it in America? Wow, that's amazing. No wonder you guys are fat right? So much butter and sugar. Wow. And like, well, you, I have nothing to say because your food is, food is delightful, right? Can't offend you, right? But they do it by communicating. They're constantly saying, for Christians, we would say as ambassadors, we would go, listen, in my king's kingdom, this is how it works. 
And what, what do I really want you to know is not just what we do and what we don't do in Jesus' kingdom. What, we, what I really want to point to, what I want to express to you as an ambassador is, I, just, I don't want to just show you what heaven's like. I want to show you what God's like by showing you what heaven's like. Because, I don't know, you can, sometimes you can go into a person's home, and when you see the home and the way it's run, you can kind of see the character of the person, right? You can kind of see the char- a bit of the person's character, the way they are, is reflected in the way they have their home set up. Maybe the way they keep their car, right? Don't judge me by my, my, my Jeep. It's just a, sometimes it's a pigsty. But we point to the outward expressions of, and customs, the rituals, the words that, of our home, and we go, in my king's kingdom, this is what it's like. Our culture, our church's culture, is meant to be a culture unlike anything that the world has ever or will ever create for itself. God's people are meant to be set apart, different, unlike anything that human beings ever could or ever would come up with, something truly foreign. We should be, if if our church really is a gospel culture, then we should be very strange people to the unbelieving world. And I'm not saying being strange for being strange's sake, right? Not, I don't want to be weird for weird's sake. I don't, I, I, don't want, I don't want to be people who are interesting just because it's interesting to be interesting, right? No. But if we really are living out what our king's kingdom is like here in this foreign land, then the people should look at us and think of us in the very least as a bit strange, Possibly provocative, mysterious, something that to other people who don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, they don't, they don't like him or love him or love his ways, something that to them would seem like we truly are upside down people. A culture that says, no, 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 you're more important than me. A culture that says, your rights are more important to me, and I'm going to focus on my responsibilities rather than ferociously protect all my rights. I'm going to, I'm going to be, because see, see my, the kingdom of my king reflects my king, and my king, well, he lay, he's God, and he laid down all of his rights He laid down all of his privilege. He set them aside. And he became became a marginalized Galilean peasant in the land of Palestine. He he was a blue-collar worker. He couldn't couldn't afford the the fancy IPA microbrews. He had to drink Coors Light. He, He had to work for a living. He never traveled more than 50, 60 miles away from his home and always on foot or by donkey. And... He's God, creator of the universe, creator of human beings. And he came and let the very people that are supposed to worship him, he came and let them chain him up, beat him up, spit on him, and horrifyingly, torturously murder him. He's the one who's holding the atoms and the cells and the particles of the Roman soldier's mouth together He's the one who's holding that dude's mouth together so that Roman soldier can form spit in his mouth so he could spit it in the face of the creator. No one has more rights and a stronger claim to rights than God in Jesus Christ. And he's the one who laid aside all of his rights. And if he's, if he's the king and he sets the culture and if it's his kingdom and we say we believe him and we agree with him, and we want to be like him, and we care about what he cares about, and then our culture as a church, as Christians, is not going to look like a lot of the people and groups and cultures around us in today's world. You know what? You better get what you can get while the getting's good. You got to look out for number one. No, we don't, we don't think of those things. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't agree with that. A culture that, that, a culture that says that the truth even the truth that might cut my heart open is always better than a lie that might, that might pat me on the back or, or make me feel a little bit better. A truth that could cut my heart open is always better because 
our king says the truth is always better than a lie, no matter what. And so we're, we're going to be people who tell the truth. We tell the truth. But hold on, man. Not all the time, right? Sometimes you just got to tell some white lies. Just, no, we, we, we got to tell the truth. That's weird. You guys are weird. A culture that says that the worst of people, the worst of people who happen to be forgiven by Jesus Christ, the worst of people are more impressive than the most moral the most moral person who's ignorant of their sin. A culture that says the sinner who is clutching the cross of Christ, believing that, oh, I can't believe he has, I can't believe he would ever love, I can't, I, it's hard to believe he has, it's hard to believe that he loves me and says I'm forgiven. God, please help me, I'm a sinner. I, I don't, I, I feel like I need to stand in the back of the church and beat my breast. Oh, I need you, please save me, please forgive me. A culture that says that that person is far more godly and closer to the kingdom of heaven than the upright and moral religious person who prays at the front going, God, you, I just want to say thank you for not making me like that guy back there. Thank you for making me such a good person. A culture that says God is most glorified not when I'm super strong and awesome, but when my weaknesses are on display so that God's strength gets to show up and show out. That's not the, wor- that's not the way of the world. That's not the culture of the, of the world around us. Our culture should be strange. And it's a, go- it's a culture that has to be born out of a belief in the gospel and a love of the gospel. It's a belief that must be taught, and it's a love that must be tasted enjoyed but it won't be a, it won't be our culture unless we really do believe the gospel and it won't really be our culture unless we really do value it and there's no way that anyone would ever believe us that we believe and value the gospel unless we practice it unless we do it so look at the beginning of colossians with me don't get scared. There's 14 verses. You're like, eh. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, apostle, it's a special office. Just mean he's, he's, a very, he's got a unique job as one of, the, one of the founders of the Christian church 2,000 years ago. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. That's who wrote it, Paul, okay? Real quick, this guy, Paul, he was a religious man of, the, of, of an elite religious level. Elite of the elites. He was a patriot of the Jewish nation, and he was a fanatic of the Jewish religion. He was a man, by the way, whose career, his ministry career, his particular set of skills surrounded hunting Christians down, persecuting them, making accusations about them, getting them imprisoned, and even having them executed under the law and murdering Christians. This was, this, that, was, that, was, that was his spiritual gift, Right? That's how he served, right? This was a man, by the way, who once Jesus took hold of this guy, Paul, this guy, Paul, became an entirely different person. See, Paul didn't go from that to this by being a better guy. Paul went from this to that by Jesus showing up and making him new. Remember, he's a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. God made him new. Didn't make him better, he made him new. He spent the rest of his life, Paul did, Learning and loving and teaching people the gospel of Jesus Christ. At one point in the Bible, in some letter he's writing to a church, he goes, listen, you know what? If I, if, if I, if I could, I'm just going to forget everything. I'm, I'm going to forget everything. If I can only know one thing, and if I could ever only teach you one thing, it would be this, Christ and him crucified. That was the most important thing to him his whole life. To know, believe, to love, to enjoy, to taste, and then to show people and tell people that the Son of God, eternally and fully God, he put on human flesh, lived as we ought to and don't. He took upon himself the righteous condemnation that God has in store for man and that man deserves, and he rose again to literal life and is guaranteeing everyone who would believe and live following him 
that they have eternal life with God. Paul spent decades preaching, teaching, traveling, working, getting beat up, getting beat up nearly to death, like almost the, several times he got beat up so bad that they thought he was dead. They dragged him outside the city so that wild dogs outside the city could eat him. And at some point, at, I don't know, he, he just wake up and go, how do I get out here? Oh, they, they beat the snot out of me. Man, maybe, maybe I'd said it wrong. Maybe they didn't understand. Like, well, I better go back in and try again, right? Planting churches, pastoring, suffering, sacrificing, all of it. Paul's life was outward expression of something he believed and valued and loved, most of all inwardly. He and one of his disciples, a man named Timothy, sent this particular letter to a church, to a particular church. To, to who? To the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Colossae was an ancient city in those times, and there was a church that clearly Paul knew the members there. He says, now, I'm going to read a chunk, and then I'm going to help us out. I, the, the Bible doesn't need help, but that's what I'm here for. Not because the Bible needs help, but we need help. So I, if, if any of you read this and saw this verse two through eight, and you're like, wow, that's a long sentence. That's how do, how do, how do all this, I'm going to help us, all right? Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So let me help us, all right? Paul was a formally educated man, what, what some might call a college boy, all right? And Paul and I, by the way, are cut from similar cloth, right? He, he wrote long, elaborate text messages, right? And he preached hour-plus-long sermons, and he loved to communicate in complex ideas. And what we just read is a bit complex, at least the way he said it. So I'm going to translate. Verse 2b, what he's saying there is, hey, y'all, God loves you. Just want to remind you. From verse 3 to 8. I'm going to translate. You ready? Hey, y'all, uh, our mutual buddy Epaphras, the guy who, your pastor, hey, he taught you all the gospel. Isn't that great? And it's been changing the way that you guys think and feel and live. It's like you guys are a brand new tree bearing brand new fruit. That's amazing. That's awesome. You guys seem to believe that Jesus really is real, and you seem to believe that your hope is in heaven and not in rewards and stuff that you can get for yourself on earth. Wow. Hey, the reason we're writing this letter is we, we, we got clued in to all of that about you. We got clued into that by the way you clearly love one another and love Jesus and love other churches. You guys have been giving money. You've been sending letters, forgiving, encouraging, obeying Jesus, even when it hurts you, even when it, you get penalized by the word. Man, we heard about that. We see that stuff. Ever since we first heard about you guys, you Christians out there in Colossae, ever since we first heard about how the gospel came to you and changed, changed you, we've been praying thankful prayers. We're so thankful to God for what he's done to you and in you and amongst you. And you know what? We're thankful because when we see you, when we hear about you and how much you love Jesus, man, it makes us happy. It makes us feel brave. And we heard all that. Remember, we heard all that from, you guessed it, our buddy Epaphras, who done told it to us already. That's what he's saying. Now, what did Paul hear about the Colossians? What did he hear about the Christians there, the church? He heard and knew that they'd been taught the gospel and they had belief, that they believed the gospel of Jesus, that they were then moved emotionally. They were moved emotionally by the gospel of Jesus. What they learned and discovered, their hearts said, yes, that's awesome, that's wonderful. And then, in liking it and loving the gospel, they then valued the gospel and they were changed by the gospel. And when this and this got changed, 
they started living in a way that proved that they believed and valued the gospel. What are the, what's the evidence? It's the culture of the Church of Colossae. It's, it's the culture that's on display that Epaphras talked about, that the, that the city, the non-believers in Colossae, they, they all saw these strange Christians, these people who follow the way of this guy, Jesus, and they keep going out into the forests and hillside where we toss our newborn sickly or disformed babies, and they keep on going out there and rescuing those babies from the cold and the wolves, and they adopt those kids themselves. Why would you do that? That makes no sense. And, they, and, they, and some of these Christians are, and they're, they're taking their slaves and they're freeing them and then keeping them in the household and calling them son or sister. They're slaves. They're, they're filthy dirtbags. They're foreigners. They're only good for, like, washing feet. And these guys are freeing their slaves, and then they're feeding their slaves and treating them like family. What is with you people? Well, that's their culture. It's an outward expression of something inward. The sorts of things that they did and didn't do, the sorts of things that they did and didn't say, the sorts of responses that they had to sin and sinners, the sacrifices that they were making with their time and money and energy, these were clear and undeniable outward expressions that everyone else could see and experience. And those outward expressions showed everyone about what they inwardly and truly believed and valued. Now, what comes first? If we're going to have a gospel culture as a church, what comes first? What's is it the inward or the outward? It's the inward, right? What was Paul so pumped about? What is he so excited about when he talk, talks to them? Is he, is he, what is he most, is it about their faith or is it about their works? Yes. The answer is yes. He's pumped about both of those things. He's pumped because... They had belief and they had love for the gospel. But he would never have known that they believed and loved God and the gospel unless there was an outward expression of their love of God and the gospel. Behavior is birthed from belief. And a gospel culture in this church, gospel culture is going to have to be birthed from gospel truth. That's why every sermon I try to preach and every, every conversation I want to have with you, whether it's counseling or encouragement, whether it, we're hanging out at a party or, or having food or drinks, what, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to find some way to see a thread in our lives where the truth of who God is and what he's done and now what he says about who you are, I want that to show up because of who God in Christ Jesus is and what God in Christ Jesus has done. So what I'm praying and preparing for as we approach 2022 and this campaign and the next season of life for our church is what Paul says. I'm, I'm with Paul. I'm, I'm on team Paul here in verse 9. Look at it with me. And Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I'm with Paul. Since planting this church almost 10 years ago, I have not and I will not cease to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You be, that you might be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And I'm praying for you so that you might be the kind of people who give thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So I'm, I'm praying that our church will be filled and filled more and more with Christians who are filled with the knowledge of God and wisdom and understanding. That's what Paul wants. That's what I want. I'm praying that we would be a people who obey Jesus outwardly in a way that bears evidence that we really do inwardly believe in and trust him and like him and love him. That we would we'd be a ch church of people who bear fruit of belief. That's, 
What that means is ongoing, like people who are showing evidence that they're really believing more and more in Jesus day by day, and it's showing up. It's bearing fruit. You can point to any tree and call it an apple tree, but unless I see some, until I see some apples hanging from the branches, I, there's no reason to call it an apple tree. I, I can't believe you. Well, no, no, it's an apple tree. Look, there's apples. Okay, yeah, but that, bro, you duct tape the apples to the branches. I see what you're doing. But a Christian bearing fruit bears apple like an apple tree. It start, it's, that person starts to look and sound more like Jesus. Bit by bit by bit. That we'd, that we'd be people who find strength and power, all that we need, according to exactly what the Lord is telling us to do. Right? God your Father doesn't fail his children. So you'll always, I stand by this, you'll always have exactly what you need from God when you need it to the level and amount that you need it so that you can obey God when you're supposed to. Right? See, when I was, I, I grew up with a fairly sizable yard, not a huge yard, but I grew up with a fairly sizable yard. And when I turned 12, it became my job to mow the lawn. Our next door neighbor had a kid near my age and they had a, they had a, they had a yard. It was a, it was a bit bigger than ours. Next door neighbor kid, I'd be out mowing the lawn, sweating, pushing, grunting. I'm a slave. I'm just, I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm not free. This is, this is terrible. They don't even pay me allowance except, you know, give me food and clothing and, and toys and stuff. But I, I am out here busting my tail. It's hard work. And there's the next door neighbor kid on a riding lawnmower, just sipping tea. What nine-year-old sips tea? But he's just sipping tea, umbrella. I'm like, and I was up, dad, I, I need a riding lawnmower. This, this is terrible. And, and my dad would go, you have the exact mower that you need and exactly the amount of gas that you need in order to do what I've told you to do. Well, why does he get a riding lawnmower? He's like, well, first of all, I ain't his dad. Second of all, they got a way larger yard than us. If we had a larger yard, maybe I might think, oh, yeah, my son needs a, a riding lawnmower. But I know exactly what you need, and you have exactly what you need from me in order to obey what I've told you to do. Our Father in heaven won't fail us. And we're praying to be a church, a gospel culture of people who find their strength and their power so, from God in accordance to what he wants us to do. That we'd, we'd be people who endure. Do you, know, do you know why you need endurance? Because it's tough. There's tough stuff. And you need to be able to make it through. Do you, do you know, he, he wants people who are patient. He's praying for patience. Do, you know do you know why you need patience? Because people will try you. Circumstances will try you. You have to wait sometimes or often. He wants joyful people. People who regardless of what the circumstances of this life bring to you or what people in this world do to you, people who aren't crushed in despair and commit either literal or spiritual or emotional suicide, people who stick and stay with Jesus, people who believe in God and finish the race of their life in faith, people who enjoy God and they can enjoy and love and be happy with God even through the tears of, of this life. That's the kind of people that Paul is praying for. That's the kind of culture he wants to help build and that's what we want to, to have. And this part of the passage closes with what that culture is birthed from. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Gospel culture isn't built by better people. It's built by born again people. We're not natural born natives of God's kingdom. We are not owed citizenship or membership in his kingdom or this church. We're not owed that. Not by birth and not by our works. We're not chosen as ambassadors of Jesus' kingdom because of who we are and what we've done to earn our place there. We're the church. We're the people of God because he delivered us from the domain of darkness, a different kingdom. And because he took us from our natural born home and made us born again into a new home. The transfer that we get is by Jesus, from Jesus, and for Jesus. And that's the gospel.
Christ, who is God, lived and died and rose again to make sinful enemies his redeemed and righteous people. And if it's a belief in, a real belief and value of that clearly preached that begins the gospel culture. Now, here's the deal. Here's the sad truth. You can have a way better preacher than me. That's easy. No amens? Yeah. You can have a way better preacher than me. But you can have the best preacher in the world. You won't have a gospel culture unless there is gospel, real gospel teaching and preaching. But you can have gospel preaching and teaching with a church that is either fully or primarily composed of people who might go, yeah, yeah, that's true, and yeah, I like that, and yeah, those are good ideas, and yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, oh, that's great, great sermon, who then walk away and don't, they don't participate in the culture. There's no outward expression to one another or the world around them that they really do believe this and that they really do like it. And the apostle, the apostle James says, hey, you know, faith without works is dead. You, you say, you got faith? Show me your works. Did you know that I'm a mathematician? Right? I'm not. I'm not a very good one. But someone can go, I'm a mathematician all day long. I, I'm, I'm great at math. Oh, yeah? Cool. Pythagorean theorem? Yeah, I know it. What is it? I, I, I know. Why? You tell me. Right? What's two plus two? Yeah, it's, it's a number. What's two? Can you, can you at least write it down? Can you show me? Because otherwise, I have no reason to believe you're a mathematician. Right? You can say it all you want. But if the people of God really share and agree upon the belief of the truth and a love of the truth, then it has to be put in practice among the people of the church. The invisible needs to be made visible in our lives with our words, with our deeds, with our bank accounts, and yes, with your calendar, and when and where and how you're going to show up to the church family on Sunday mornings or throughout the week, and what things are you going to let stand in your way from being with the people of God as one of the people of God. The invisible needs to be made visible. And the church has a culture and it shows what kind of soil we really have. Jesus got a story. He's got a, it's called the parable of the sower, really parable of the soils. There's a planter, right? All right, here we go, real quick. Uh, planter, farmer, tosses some seed out over here on this ground, on that ground, on that ground, like different types of soils. Over there, that's asphalt. Nothing's growing there, all right? Just the seed just bounces. Over here, it's like rocky. It doesn't really take much either. Over here, this soil is like not, not bad, but it's not awesome. It's not very good. And he throws some seeds, and like some stuff starts to look like it's sprouting up, but then like the weeds, the cares of this world, the cares, your job, your money, your finances, like it just chokes out the gospel. And, and those things, they don't really grow up. They don't grow. They just die and nothing really gets born. But there's other soil. That seed lands on there and man, stuff grows and it bears fruit. And then other stuff around it starts growing. The seed is cast in the preaching and teaching and the leadership and the mutual teaching that Christians do for one another. And it's done together. It's got to show up. There, there are a bunch of commands that Paul gives throughout the Bible, that God gives throughout the whole Bible. And, and, and just, I'm not going to take you there. All right, in Colossians 3, there's a whole chunk of things that Paul tells us that, the, that Christians are supposed to do, that the church is supposed to, how, how we're supposed to act. And these are commands that we can't obey. If you go look at Colossians chapter 3, go look at it 12 through 17. There's not a single thing that Paul tells us if we're in Christ, not a single thing that we... He tells us to do that we can do all by ourselves. He's going to say, like, be patient and forgive and be charitable and be generous and be kind. And none of those are commands that you can obey if you're by yourself. Those are all relational commands. And you can't obey God unless, what? You're, you're part of the people. The full expression, the real full living expression of the Christian life is not, is not experienced on your own, independent, doing as you like, doing as you see fit, 
with no authority, no one around me who can tell me yes or no, no one who can suggest to me, no one who, can, who has, the, has the ability to come to me and go, hey, uh, listen, I, I want to call, I love you, I want to call you to be in step with the Bible, right? I do what I want. I, I, I do a lot of Bible studies myself. I listen to, I, I listen to Louis Giglio on, on the podcast every week, right? But I don't, I don't need to live my, my life committed to living my life with other Christians and being in their lives and letting them be in my life. I don't need to do that. Well, if you don't, and I want you to know, you don't have anywhere close to the reality that the Lord calls you to experience as being a born-again Christian because the reality is that you're not saved individually. You're saved into a family. You can't even fully obey God unless you're with other people so you can obey those sorts of commands. This is a culture. That's why I, I can be gospel culture all I want, up here or in my life or in my home with my family. I can do that all I want. But if I'm the only one doing it, or if Christian Wall's the only one doing it, or if Blake Dye is the only one doing it, then it's not the culture of our church. It's the culture of our homes. Because in the end, actions always trump ideas. In the end, if this church doesn't establish and cultivate a gospel culture among us and bring other people in and, and teach them that culture, a gospel culture within so many things that we say, like our church's vision and mission statement, that's not really what we do. That's what we say we do. But it's just, it's more of a wish list rather than our, our mission. Here's the deal. When it comes to a, a culture, what will RCC, what will, rest, what will Restoration City Church be like? Here's, here's what I pray for. Here's what I'm striving for, and here's how I'll, I'll close this that we'd be a people who are both confident because Jesus paid it all. We're confident. And that we'd be humble because Jesus paid it all and not me. That we'd be a people who are com com confident and humble instead of proud or despairing. A people who walk in honesty and transparency and confession. Because the gospel frees us from having to cover ourselves up with fig leaves. We wear white robes. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why wouldn't we share what is shameful or sinful to boast in the more powerful grace of God, bringing him glory and us joy? I'm, I'm hoping that our culture would be composed of a people who live lives that are deeply committed to being part of, being an integral part of this body. People who would find their church body, their church family, as central, as most vital. See, I've got, I've got blood, I've got blood-related sisters, an older one and a younger one, Katrina and Crystal, right? And those relationships are extraordinarily important to me. They ought to be, right? They're gifts to me from God. Do you know there's, there's a relationship that I have with them that trumps every day and every second. It's, it's infinitely more important than my relationship that I have with my sisters based on the fact that we have the same blood and we came from the same woman. Do you know what that relationship is? In Christ. Because they're both professing Christians. So the, the responsibilities I have toward them and they ought to have toward me in Christ, trump anything about the culture or the way that we were brought up in our earthly family. This. And that we'd be a people who are deeply committed to this church, to that supreme relationship that brothers and sisters in Christ have with one another. That we would be a people who are zealous. We're, we're anxious. We're, we're ready to go. We want, we want. Please give me the ball. People who are zealous for opportunities to show mercy and combat compassion to use what God has given you in your life, whether it's a speaking gift, teaching gift, helping gift, <coughs> giving gift, just being good to people, that we'd be people who are looking for the opportunity to serve in love and show compassion of Jesus Christ to others. That people who would be very ferocious about reconciliation. A people 
who want to see relationships that are burning to the ground or are in cinders already, who want to see those relationships resurrected. Because if God can reconcile us to him, then we can reconcile with others. That we would be a people who refuse to walk away from this church for the next church because of style or preference issues or unmet expectations. But that we'd be a people who it's, it's dang hard to shake us loose from one another. And that we'd be a people who have an invisible inward love that comes from Christ and it is for Christ that's expressed undeniably. It's expressed undeniably in a visible and outward way to one another in the lost. Via what? The expressions of our gospel culture. Which has less to do with what kind of uh, music we're going to listen to and less to do with what kind of clothes we're going to wear in this church. But everything, everything to do about what we believe about God and his son Jesus Christ in the gospel and what we love about him in Jesus Christ the gospel and who he says we are and what kind of kingdom now we're part of. And we just, we live our lives putting the gospel culture on display and telling one another, reminding, and telling the world, hey, listen, I want to tell you about my king by showing you his kingdom. I'm trying to live out that kingdom culture in front of you. I want you to meet my king. So, I want you to know and believe and live the gospel of Jesus Christ together. That's, that's the seed of our culture. That's what we're looking to build. Now, I, I got 14, 15 weeks in, starting in January to take us through that bit by bit, but I wanted to provide this as just kind of a primer, prime the engine so you know it's coming. Go ahead, and I urge you, go ahead and start reading the book of Colossians. Um, and it's coming. I'm thankful that you guys will let me preach the Bible. Uh, why don't we pray? And we'll continue worshiping the Lord in communion. Lord in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us the truth. And thank you for being a God who not only loves us, but makes it possible for us who have no love for you in our natural born self. Now we have love for you because of you. I pray that you would plant a flag in our hearts, that you would change our minds, that you would renew us, that you would bring us into new and newer seasons constantly being changed by you. The way we think, the way we feel, and therefore, man, the way we live. We ask for all of that in a way that makes you look just as good as you really, really are to the rest of the world and to one another, and we pray that you would do that in a way that makes us happy, because you really do, Lord. We love you and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.